guys, welcome to Nathan Cage Injury Podcast on the couch there. I've got the Darren Gibson. Darren, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank How you. was your journey down? Yeah, smooth. Smooth. <laughs> Not too bad. Used to live in this neck of the woods, so... Nice neck of the woods, isn't it? Know it well. Yeah, it's lovely down here. Used to be a bit rough, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't come back in those days. <laughs> Showing your age. <laughs> All right, fine. Look, people want to know, how did Darren Gibson get into becoming... I won't talk about the calculator just yet, but let's just, let's just talk about how you got into being the car finance person from everyone from people like myself to A-list celebrities. How did this journey begin? So my uh, background in finance really spans over a nearly 22 year period. Wow. Uh, I moved over to London from Northern Ireland where I studied uh, finance at university uh, and I joined one of the main uh, investment banks in the city. Uh, and really throughout my career I, I've worked within the investment banking world and then I spent nearly 12 years in the private equity and hedge fund space. Nice. That's how it all started. That's how it started. Yeah. So, so why then did it go, I want to now arrange finance for cars? How did, it, how did that journey start? Yeah, so somehow in the back of my head, I always knew that I would, I would somehow work with, with cars. I just could never understand how, did, or, how or why that would happen. Did you like cars? Always. Love it. Uh, major petrol head. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I always had there in the back of my brain that I, I would somehow end up working with cars. Yeah. But I just couldn't understand how that would transpire. And uh, after nearly 15 or 16 years in mainstream uh, banking and finance and, and, and hedge funds, I uh, became very disillusioned with it. Um, I was looking for a new challenge. I started to work on some of my own projects. So I resigned from the firm that I was working for mm -hmm. uh, as a partner. And I started looking for my next uh, opportunity. And it was potentially through a chance meeting with... Uh, someone that was quite senior at a, at a fund um, in the car finance space that I met. And uh, we got talking uh, informally at an event and he said, you clearly know about finance. You clearly are enthusiastic about cars. Uh, you'd be a fantastic introducer broker for us. Why don't you come and have a chat? And that's how it all started. So you found a, you had a passion for cars. You were good at finance, so the two together were great. What was it like then starting a business on your own? Because obviously, like, it's, you've been employed for such a long time. Mm -hmm. You might have done well, but having your own business is totally di no, totally different kettle of fish. Yes. What yes. was that feeling like? So I, I had been running another business, um, doing something completely different for maybe around 10 years in the background anyhow. Yeah. Uh, but that was relatively self-sufficient in what it did. Uh, but I, So I had the experience of running my own small business, uh, so to speak. Um, initially, I didn't go full-time into, into doing the uh, vehicle finance um, uh, at the beginning. Uh, so I built it up slowly and surely over yeah. time. Uh, started to build my, uh, my client base and started to you know, understand uh, how I could ultimately go full-time and, yeah. and, and work on it uh, on a, on a full-time basis. Um, and again, you know, we'll touch on some of the ways we, we managed to do that uh, probably in a minute. But what was, do you remember the first deal that you'd done on your own? Like your first private, as in like, as your own, as Darren Gibson. Do you remember your first car finance that you arranged? I do, I do, I do. Um, I do. It was on a Range Rover Sport. Nice. Um, it was for someone I've known and worked with for maybe 10 or 12 years. Uh, and as luck would have it, he decided he needed a new car. Uh, just as I decided I would, you know, start to um, uh, introduce and credit broke uh, the finance. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
again, he, he'd, he'd known me and trusted me for a very long time and said, great, you can sort my deal out. And that was my first deal. And then from there, was it like, well, I know I can do this, I'm going to push on and go and get more. How did, yes. how did you then go out and get the business? Because people will say, well, it's great to start a business, you know about finance, you love your cars, but then you've got your first deal. How then did you go out and get more? Good question. So for me, uh, social media wasn't something that I actively engaged in at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, as, as again, a bit of a chance encounter, uh, somebody told me I needed to be on Instagram and somebody <laughs> downloaded it into my phone against my will. Yeah. And I, I owe that person a debt of gratitude. Um, she, I, I very quickly, like most people, find that Instagram was an interesting place to, to be. Um, yeah. And again, somebody who's not necessarily uh, that keen on social media. Um, I find Instagram quite good because there was lots of cars on there. There was things that I was interested on there. So I, I started to look at Instagram and understand, uh, you know, how it operated and whatnot. Uh, then, uh, by a process of uh, osmosis, I started to come across some of the top uh, car YouTube guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as, a, as an avid sort of petrol head, I, I wanted to watch their content. Then find myself watching more things on YouTube yeah. uh, when previously I, I wouldn't really have been on YouTube. Um, and yeah, I started to get more into the the whole mindset and, and understanding um, how the, the, the social media space operated. And that was really the turning point for me in terms of uh, getting my name out there and getting uh, uh, you know more deals through. Well, it's so easy, right? You've got a platform, everyone's on it, people are willing to buy, people are willing to sell. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a platform where you can just trade. Yes, yes. It's a bit of a no-brainer, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But again, even initially, um, Thinking of it from the perspective, you know, being on social media is one thing, but again, making sure that, um, you know, I, I can build a, a nice client base from that um, and, you know, to have exposure and, 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 and reach out into the marketplace. Um, and again, one of the, the key things um, that occurred really when, when I was setting it all up was I met with one of the top YouTube guys, uh, which is TG. Uh, or Tom Exon, as you've known, um, and uh, Tom and I, you know, got on really well from the from the outset, and um, we we started to look at uh, doing one or two vehicles for him. Yeah. Um, and Tom quickly could see that I was very passionate and very you know dedicated to what I do, and I uh, could go above and beyond really in terms of serving what he needed as a client, uh, and you know we now have funded quite a few vehicles for him. Um, and again, the videos are all out there for people to see. Sure. Uh, I genuinely love attending the collections. I, I genuinely love the buzz and excitement. Um, and you know, the assets that we, we finance uh, with the lenders, they're, they're incredible, uh, incredible vehicles. And it's a privilege for me to work with guys like him and you know, to be around vehicles like that. And again, the, ex- the overall exposure there has, has helped me massively to expand my, my client uh, network. and. Um, bring in new business. What do you think it takes to become successful in business? Because obviously, like you, you, great in the city, that's fine, but now you've got your own business. What do you think, what are the key ingredients in order to sort of some being successful in what they want to do? So my background initially and my roles in, this, in the early days in the city were in uh, banking operations, uh, or the back office as it would be called. Um, I then quickly moved through the middle office into the front office. Um, so I had a very strong uh, operational background. Um, whereby you know 
made sure that all the systems reconciled, made sure that all of the, um, the data we were working on was correct. And mm -hmm. it, was, it was that attention to detail and, as, as I say, the operational training and, and foundation I had in my early stage of my career, I think has massively helped me doing what I do now. Um, the, as I moved forward in my career from the middle into the front office, uh, as it was known, uh, on the trading desks in the city, um, I learned the sales role. So I could speak to our clients, advise them. Um, I could execute, you know, multi mm. hundred million dollar trades yeah. um, every every two minutes in the market. Uh, and it was dealing with the pressure from a sales side. Of course. Uh, and then as I moved forward throughout my career, I was able to harness the the sales aspect with the operational foundation. And I find that doing what I do now, you need both those skill sets. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky to have, you know. Pretty, pretty amazing training in, in both those. Growing up as a child, what, what was growing up like? Did you have a, a tough childhood? Was it an you know, easy childhood? Yeah, a good question. Um, I, had a, I had a brilliant childhood. Um, grew up in, in Northern Ireland, uh, uh, from a town on the west of Northern Ireland called Enniskillen. Uh, a lot of people know it, a lot of people don't know it. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic place. Uh, it's technically the Lake District of, of the UK. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, I had, a, I had a fantastic childhood. I went to some brilliant schools. Um, and uh, yeah, attended Nor uh, university in Northern Ireland as well. Uh, one, of the, one of the top unis now in the UK called Queen's University in Belfast. Uh, and I still have a close affinity with, with the university back home. Nice. Um, recently became the president of the London Association, which we have around 460 uh, alumni in the, in the southeast of England. Wow. Uh, and I recently became honorary president of that, for example. So I, I keep keep strong roots back in the That's province. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and, and again now, um, as, my, uh, as, as people, I guess, get to know who I am and what I can do, um, I'm building a very strong client base back in Northern Ireland um, and really enjoy that side of it, you know. So uh, it keeps me sort of tied back to the, the province. Um, and I don't get to go home as much as I'd like to. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, I so love... I love meeting people and, and talking to them and, and uh, helping them out. So growing up as a kid, what, surely you didn't say, uh, you know, when you were sort of 12, well, maybe five, between the ages of five and 10, you didn't go, oh, I want to be in finance, I want to be in banking, or did you? From about the age of 11. <laughs> you I, yeah. your plastic pennies. I, yeah, yes, I started reading the Financial Times when I was about 12. <laughs> Believe it or not, I did. Uh, looking back, it was a bit sad. Um, I don't read the FT anymore, let me tell you. Uh, but I, I, I was, yeah, I always sat and read the business pages. Um, um, and I was very, very, very interested in that space. So that was almost early. like your dream job. It was, yes. That's incredible. Uh, it was, it was. And that sort of led me on a very interesting career path uh, through doing a finance degree. Um, my first job role in, in investment banking was at Goldman Sachs, uh, so most people know who they are. Um, uh, but that was a very uh, dedicated mindset uh, to get to work in a firm like that. Um, and then really my, my career springboarded off the back of that. So if someone's watching this now, because I think a lot of the demographic that I've got, or a lot of the people watching would be the ages between the ages of 24 and 34. Mm. But I know there's a, there's a few younger guys out there as well. And if they're thinking, like, I want to do what Darren does, I want to get involved with an arranging car finance, and I want to be the new Darren Gibson, mm. what advice could you give them? Do they need to go to university? They, do they have to go work for Goldman Sachs? Do they have to go be an investment banker? No, no, no. I wouldn't say that at all. Um, 
it's not an easy sector to break into, is, is, is what I would say. Um, for anyone that probably wants to get into the space, um, their best bet is probably to go and work for one of the larger firms out there providing you know, direct lending into okay. uh, the consumer car finance world or for one of the larger brokers, for example. Um, but whilst it may appear to look like, a, let's say, an easy or glamorous or glamorous uh, role, it, it definitely isn't. What um, a give, me, give me an idea of like, I mean, I know your phone constantly is on, 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 on. Yeah. Give, me, give, me a tip, give us a typical sort of day of Darren Gibson. Uh, starts around half six in the morning, yeah. maybe earlier, um, and goes on to around 10 at night. Wow. And is that just you being on the phone? Pretty much, yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, I try to build structure into my days. I try to um, set up calls with clients at specific times. Um, the clients sometimes can't stick to that, uh, and I sometimes can't stick to that. So it has to be flexible and fluid. Um, but generally it starts with um, either a direct message through Instagram. Um, sometimes I don't get notified on my Instagram that a message has appeared. Yeah. Uh, so I sometimes miss it. So I could get a message at 10 a.m. and not see it until six at night, wow. which is a slight issue. Uh, and that's because the time in between that is literally on the phone, uh, liaising with lenders, liaising with dealers, liaising with clients, um, propping new deals in, uh, and then dealing with the quite literally a mountain of paperwork in the background which a lot of paperwork all is of these deals to happen yes, yes what's the toughest what's the toughest part of your job people that obviously it's the part that people don't see but what is the toughest part what do you what do you think oh if only i could simplify this or make this part easier it, it is generally the paperwork um so there's a huge amount of paperwork per deal per yeah. client um there's also a huge amount of kyc that we have to undertake so what um, was that so know your customer. Okay. So uh, or KYC. So that's identifying the individuals we are speaking to, uh, literally checking their passports, driving licenses, utility bills, um, uh, to verify they are who they say they are. And so like they, AML and anti money laundering. Exactly yeah. that as well. Um, uh, to ensure that you know we know who we're speaking to, we know um, the ind individuals who are being proposed for finance, uh, and that they genuinely are are the people they say they are. Um, so that's one of the toughest things to do, um, but again, we've got very tried and tested processes to ensure that we deal with the right clients and, and get them funded. Why would someone, so being a novice, right, why would someone go to Darren Gibson as opposed to just going straight to the dealer? What's the difference between going to you and going to the dealer? Yes, so really the, it all starts with the customer deciding they want to buy a car. Now, generally, they will walk into a dealership and, and review the vehicles that they, they're interested in uh, and start talking to the sales guys at the dealership. Um, a lot of people generally aren't aware that they do not have to accept the finance offer from the, the dealership they're speaking to. Um, dealerships at the moment, uh, for example, um, on new cars, uh, without naming any specific marks, course, yeah, uh, please don't. but generally... Um, you know, on brand new cars, yeah. the dealers are quoting anything from 4.9, 5.9, 6.9 on a brand new car. Mm -hmm. But the second the client says, actually, I like the one on the forecourt with 600 miles on the clock and it's uh, £10,000 cheaper, I'll have that. They immediately jump the APR up to as high as 12.9%. Why is this? So that really, uh, Nathan, is to ensure that the dealers and the entire brand uh, and the car manufacturer keep the factories busy 
producing cars out. So yeah. it's literally just registering cars. That's all yes, they want to do. That's it. They have to keep the production lines pumping new vehicles all the time, round the clock. Um, otherwise, the they lose colossal money with their production uh, and, and manufacturing facilities. So they effectively subsidize the vehicle finance on brand new vehicles yeah. to entice customers in. And I get that. I mean, I mean there are, I, I can get the better, I can see why customers also want a new car. I'm going to chip pick this, I'm going to choose that, I'm going to choose this, and it's going to be cheaper for me on a monthly payment. Yes. But are you, so are you then saying I can arrange affordable finance on a used car? Exactly that. And that's where we fill the, the gap in the market. Wow. So, for example, you know, uh, Yesterday alone, uh, lots a very popular car at the moment is the new or uh, Range Rover Sport. A lot of people don't want to buy a brand new Range Rover Sport, but because they get you know, quoted very high APRs from the dealerships, and as I say, as high as twelve point nine percent APR, um, the the when they compare new versus used, the used is just too expensive. Yeah. They then think, well, how else can I fund this vehicle? And that's when they call me or direct message me. Um, we can set up, again, specific to the um, individual client's uh, personal financial circumstances, uh, we, can, we can quote the right deal on very fair, very competitive terms uh, to enable them to buy the used vehicle, which again will have taken most of the potential upfront depreciation hit uh, in, in the initial period since it was new. Uh, and uh, I then take a lot of the stress and a lot of the um, confusion out of the process by then dealing with the dealership to get the uh, vehicle paid out and the client driving away in the new car. What would you say then, if somebody's now looking, I know there's a lot of people out there because I know they've messaged me and asked me questions. If they're looking to buy a used car, I mean, does it matter on the age? Does it matter on the mileage? Is there sort of, is there something that, is there, is there an ideal used car to buy? Does that make sense? Uh, good question. Um, the answer really is no. It, it, it's, it's, it's always very specific to the car the customer wants to buy, yeah. but it's also very specific to the client's personal financial circumstances. Okay. So I try to do it in a very common sense, pragmatic way. You know, what first and foremost works for the client? What, again, works for their ownership objectives for that vehicle? Simple question, how long do they want to buy it for? Yeah. A lot of clients will turn around and say, I need a 48-month deal. How long do you want to keep the car for? Oh, well, I'm only going to keep it 18 to 24 months. And is that because they just want to, they think that the monthly payment is going to be cheaper? Yes, and historically, the way that finance has been, uh, I guess, sold or brokered uh, through dealerships uh, ha you know, has meant that a lot of people went for longer terms, yeah. even though the average might be 24 to 36 months, and sometimes often quite less in terms of the average ownership period for the car. Um, but again, I try to match up the financial product with the ownership's objectives. So yeah. if they want a, a two-year deal, we will do a two-year deal. Um, I'd rather the client was in the correct product for them from the outset, because when they come to change the car in two years' time, they lift the phone and they call me and we do the next car for them as well. Do you think that's because just people just unaware? They just don't know the knowledge. They're just unaware of what they can actually get. Yes, and, and some of the terminology in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the sector is, is a little confusing, especially if you're not around it all the time. It certainly was confusing for me in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have common terms like PCP, which is personal contract purchase. Yeah. Uh, you have lease purchase with balloon. 
you have regulated deals, you have unregulated deals, you have variable rate deals, you have fixed rate deals. Wow. Uh, and there's combinations of all of those in between. You have higher purchase where you can pay the car off in equal installments over a you know four or five year period, whatever it may be. Um, so it's about ensuring the customer is aware of the uh, different options they have. Um, so for example, a client came to me this morning and said, um, I want to buy this vehicle and I want a PCP and I want it over 48 months. Yeah. So I then look at that and say, firstly, the vehicle's too old to have a PCP. Uh, generally, to have a PCP on the car, it needs to be no more than four to five years of age. Otherwise, the top lenders cannot do a PCP. Okay. The next thing they'll say is, well, I'm buying it from a friend or I'm buying it from someone I find privately on AutoTrader. Again, we can't put a PCP on that car because it's being bought from a private vendor. Okay. So um, again, it's about letting them understand that. Yeah. Um, and then, as you say, putting them on the correct product for the right term, which suits as much as we can yeah. the ownership objectives as they as they tell me at the time. And you can do finance anyone for between what, 30,000 and a couple of million quid? 30,000 to five million. Yes. Wow. Yes. What's the biggest deal that you've done? Don't name names, but what's the, what's the biggest deal you've done? Biggest deal, uh, 1.3 million. One car. For one car, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Bugatti, maybe? Uh, no, uh, that was a 918 Spider. Oh, wow. What a car. Yeah. So if you're going to buy a car now, what, what's the car that you would buy? What, what car is Darren Gibson going to buy? Oh, gosh, 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 gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, well. Yeah, I'm not putting you on the spot. <laughs> you're, yeah, oh, yes, you are. No, is there a what, car out there for you? What I'd love to have and what I can have are two different things. What, um, what would you, forget about what, what you can, what would you love to have? Oh gosh, well one of the most exciting car I think coming through into the market currently for me has to be, I'll give you two. Um, the Ferrari F8 Tributo, mm. which I genuinely love. Yeah. Um, I saw you have a picture over there actually, <laughs> I was gonna ask you about that later. Yeah. Maybe coach you some finance on it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I knew it was coming. Uh, and secondly, uh, the GT3, 991.2 GT3 YSAC. Oh my yeah. God, wow. Yeah. They, I'll try and get a picture of that here somewhere. Yeah, they're starting to filter through now and I, I think they are phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, but yeah, both those for me are the sort of cars that I naturally love. Yeah. Before we get into some questions, can you arrange finance on bikes? The answer there is yes, uh, but I never have. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been asked once or twice and started looking at a couple of bike deals, uh, but uh, to date, never, never. Before, again, before we go to more questions, is there a car out there at the moment where it's got a high value, mm which is an expensive car to buy if you're to buy it cash, mm -hmm. but it's got a good residual value, so the payments are low every month. Is there, have you noticed a car out there at the moment that's doing quite well? Yes, there's, there's a couple. I mean, it, it generally moves by mark, okay. uh, car mark. So, for example, uh, Porsche and Ferrari are by far the two in the market that will generally hold their value better than most cars. But within both those marks, uh, you get almost extremes. So, uh, if you buy the wrong Ferrari, it's going to depreciate quite hard. Uh, whereas if you buy the right Ferrari, you could see appreciation in the value. Uh, and it's the same within Porsche, uh, for example. Um, the other top marks uh, generally will all depreciate. But regardless of that, the underwriters at the lenders, they will, uh, they've got formulas that they'll apply 
uh, on a straight line basis to depreciate the asset over uh, a certain period. Uh, so we, we can work to those um, uh, residual uh, formulas and uh, you know, generally can place the, the RV perfectly such that um, the client gets the balance of the correct monthly, mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time uh, not having risk of negative equity on the vehicle when they come to exit the car. So that's a tough one, right? And that's why I think it's so important for people just to tell people up front, mm -hmm. look, this is what I want, this is what I can afford, this mm -hmm. is how long I, re I realistically want the car for. Because mm -hmm. let's be honest, most people after a year, year and a half, want to change their cars. Mm -hmm. But yes. they just, they know that they can't because yes. they've signed up for a four-year deal, mm -hmm. they come to sell it or give it back, and there's too much of a, you know, they, they, they owe too much on the, on the car. They've got too yes. much negative equity. Yes, so the... Long before I got involved in in the sector, uh, you know the rules were very different. And uh, again, I'm I'm not an expert on those rules historically, uh, but it used to be very difficult for clients who took finance deals to exit the finance deals without mm -hmm. suffering huge costs yeah. to exit. Um, however, the regulators stepped in and uh, tightened the rules for the lenders and made it much more difficult for them to overcharge when a client wanted out of a deal. Nice. Uh, it's all about treating the customers fairly. Um, so they brought in um, rules around those uh, exit fees. Mm -hmm. um, so they vary from product to product. Yeah. Uh, they vary from a PCP through to a lease purchase balloon on a regulated basis through to a lease purchase balloon on an unregulated basis. And again, the difference, key differences within those uh, are mainly uh, on a PCP product, for example, uh, you have what's called a GFE or guaranteed future value and that is the number that the lender agrees in advance to buy the car back from you if you wish to terminate the agreement at the end of the facility mm -hmm. uh, and they will guarantee to give you that amount but because they are guaranteeing it they will set it at a lower value, value. to what the actual market value of the vehicle mm -hmm. is and that then is generally their margin for the next customer when they sell it on yeah okay that makes so sense. all they're doing is front-loading and, and uh, factoring in that margin on the back end of the deal. Also, because it is lower, your payment can tend to be higher because you're you're not leveraging as much of the equity value uh, in the vehicle. Yeah. So uh, again, on vehicles above certain amounts, again, PCPs tend not to work. Um, we can still do them, but they don't tend to work as well. Uh, but again, some clients will say, no, I absolutely want the guaranteed value yeah. um, and we can, I can do a PCP product for them on that basis. Uh, but I always try to show them the various options and it's their decision as to what product they want to have. Good, man. Good. All right. So some questions. Um, with, being, with more people being self-employed, mm -hmm. is it harder to arrange finance? Generally not, no. Um, it's slightly more complex. Um, the lender needs to understand what you do for a living, how you earn your money, and how successful that is. Um, clearly, if you work for a major uh, law firm or bank or accountants or supermarket, yeah. and you're on a salary, they'll be able to prove very easily what, you what your earning potential is and what your affordability is. Uh, when you are an entrepreneur, have your own business, um, cash flow can go up and down. Um, the amount you pay yourself through your business uh, can vary greatly from client to client. Uh, so the underwriters uh, need to do a bit of a deep dive into your uh, personal financial affairs, both personally and through your business, even though you're buying it through a business or you're buying it in your personal name. They look at everything, the totality of that. Uh, they look at your home ownership status, for example, that's, that's quite important. Um, 
but yeah, they will they will look at all aspects. Uh, but I deal with a huge number of entrepreneurs um, from all variations of, of sectors and industries, uh, which is one of the things I love about what I do. Yeah, you meet um, so many amazing I meet, people. I meet incredible people from all walks of life. You're welcome. Um, and that's the part <laughs> I, I genuinely love, yeah. Nice. Um, what's been your toughest challenge? Toughest challenge in, in terms of specific car I want two from you so I want what's been your toughest challenge one as a business owner mm -hmm. and what's been your toughest challenge in terms of arranging car finance don't mention names or car brands no, of but course of course mm, so toughest challenge uh, as a business owner yeah. um, scale yeah is probably my toughest challenge right now um, so for example I'm very blessed and fortunate that I have a very deep uh, client uh, uh, base uh, and that grows on a daily, weekly basis. Um, so obviously the, the more clients I have, um, at times it's, it's harder to serve them as quickly and as efficiently uh, as, I, as I once did right back in the beginning. However, I will work even harder to ensure that that level of service doesn't drop. Yeah. Um, so it might take me, me slightly longer to get back to a client and, and get the quote to them. Uh, but you know, we're talking, uh, you know, a matter of hours, max a day, uh, as opposed to not getting back to them. Yeah. So you know, but that's that's really for me one of the, the key things right now is scale. Um, the market generally, the prestige market, uh, is is extremely buoyant at the moment. Uh, right in the beginning of twenty twenty, uh, February in the car world is normally a relatively quiet month. Yeah. Uh, very few people would be actively buying. Uh, but it's the complete opposite at the moment. It's crazy, um, isn't it? Everyone's extremely busy, which is great uh, for everybody. Um, but think, yes. Do you think people are buying cars to keep up with the Joneses? I see a lot of it at the moment. Like, are there a lot of people out there at the moment just buying cars for the sake of buying cars, not because they really want to buy the car? No, they, generally they're they're buying cars because they, they really want that car. And, mm. and again, they're informed buying decisions. They may have um, been thinking about it for six months to a year before yeah. pressing the button and buying that car. And again, I've, I've engaged with clients as, as, as much as 12 to 15 months in advance between buying the car and, and or thinking to buy the car and then physically taking ownership of it. Um, and the key thing I always try to do is I work to the client's speed. So I will always ascertain, look, how soon do you plan to buy the vehicle? Um, sometimes they'll say, literally, I want it by, by Saturday. Yeah. Um, and if it's on a Thursday, that's not normally doable. Uh, but uh, Tuesday? It does happen. But by the following Tuesday, it could, it could be done. Um, you know, so we have to go through the process. We have to get the client approved. We have to, uh, we have to do it correctly. Yeah, of course. Um, otherwise, the deal will not get paid out. Um, you know, so. But what's been what's been the toughest one? What's been the? Do you remember? Has there may have been this one that's been really complicated or not? I've had a couple of very large deals that are simultaneously working on at least two or three vehicles as part of the one deal um, and those deals have been particularly challenging yeah. Uh, and yeah it can take as long as you know maybe two weeks to structure the deal correctly uh, to join up all the dots to you know get all of the information required from the uh, underlying client uh, to present that back to the credit committees to get it through the senior credit committees um, uh, for approval um, and ultimately then you know be there to hand over the car with the client. Uh, you know, that's what we try to do. It's amazing. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've received? Could be anything like, whether you, as your child or as 
as an adult, as a business, whatever, what's the best piece of advice you've received? It'll sound very cliched, Nathan, but for me, it's just never give up. Nice. Never give up. I had a deal earlier this week, um, and another another broker was looking at the deal, and uh, unbeknown to me, uh, that the client had approached the, that that firm for for a quote. Uh, I put the deal through, and I got the deal accepted. And I had a message from the person saying, "Oh, I understand you've had the deal accepted. How on earth did you do it? Because I I couldn't do it." And I said, "Well." It's because I don't give up and I make sure we structure it correctly uh, to get the right answer for the client, which means we can do more business in the right way. And that, that. that was all it was. I love that. But, never give up. But not, not giving up. It is a cliche. No, it's not. I, well, I've, I've never given up. I love that. Um, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Check Instagram. <laughs> Check it. It's the first thing. Genuinely, yes. That's business, right? Yes, yeah. Have a coffee? And, uh, yes, so I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that I can get a work-life balance whereby, and it's not that balanced, I must say, but the, the highlight of my day every day uh, is walking my kids to school. Um, oh. So we're fortunate we live relatively close to the school, uh, and I get to spend that short bit of time with them every morning, taking them to school. And that, that's genuinely the highlight for me. Um, everything is off, off limits until I drop the kids off. Then it's uh, grab a coffee, um, and then it's on the phone from then on until up to 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Are you religious? Uh, yes, historically yeah. I have been, yes, yes. I don't get to practice as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, growing up in Northern Ireland, uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we're generally yeah. one of two religions. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, I... Yeah, I, I, I am religious, yeah, yeah and, and you know, I am religious and uh, uh, I am thankful of what I've managed to achieve in my career and God willing continue to achieve, you know. Amazing, love that. Um, of all the cars, I mean, I, this is another question somebody asked, Darren, of all the cars, what's been your dream car, mm -hmm. which we which we say is the... The F8 Tributo. We'll go I with that. It's amazing. And uh, the GT3 uh, Gen 2 Wysak. Nice. Um, ever had someone rejected for finance that you've managed to get them a deal? Don't understand that. So I think he's saying maybe he's gone to the dealership, been rejected finance. Ah, right. Yes, yes, yes. And then, absolutely. Gosh, yeah. yes, 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 yes. So I go through three or four quick fire questions with my clients when they ring me up. And I can virtually instantly understand exactly who I can and who I cannot talk to about finance yep. for them. And knowing exactly where to place the client and ensuring I don't approach the wrong lenders uh, means that I don't get them a credit rejection. Mm -hmm. um, so again, if they're what I would call non vanilla so the way they earn their money uh, is slightly more complex, um, I ensure that... Um, you know, we go to the underwriters, and, and I know in certain firms the underwriters extremely well, uh, and I can I can ultimately explain uh, to the underwriter exactly what the makeup is. So I, I take a lot more time and effort um, to understand in detail what could lead to a decline on yeah. credit, um, and then I make sure that. Uh, and again, if 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 in my view. 
they will be declined, I won't propose them for credit. Yeah. I will tell them very clearly, uh, it's not going to be possible. Um, therefore, I would, you know, pause, wait 12, 18 months, uh, correct the things in the background that may need corrected, yeah. and then come back and potentially look at doing a some good advice. Plan. That because there are some there are some companies out there that do finance for car. I mean, like they do old, really old cars, mm. and the payments are so expensive, like terrible. Maybe if you've got really bad credit history, what sort of advice mm. could you give someone? Because I'd say to them, don't buy that car. It's it's not worth it. And I and I do that frequently. Again, uh, in the in the market, you would you technically call it subprime. There are lenders there who, who will uh, lend to individuals who maybe have um, a more difficult uh, credit history, uh, but they will charge you know relatively substantial uh, APRs for that you know in, into the high twenties and beyond. Yeah. And and I do not deal with those lenders, and I don't deal generally with those kinds of uh, APRs at, no. at all. It's just not something I, I want to do. Um, and they are very time-consuming, and you know it can be quite complex. Um, but as I say, there are I've had it where uh, clients who are perfectly credit acceptable, they go through, they get put through to the wrong lender, they get a rejection, they call me, I understand why they've been rejected, and then say, well, look, I wouldn't have proposed you to that lender in the first, first place, mm. but I can uh, look at this lender and. Not all the time, but generally we'll get them approved and we'll get the car paid out for them. Nice, happy days. All right, so some quick fire questions. Okay. Burger or pizza? Burger. Favourite takeaway? Thai. Ooh. Texting or talking? Better both, yeah. <laughs> no, neither. <laughs> what would you prefer? you got to choose I, one. I use voice noting a lot now. Do you? Yeah, a lot, yeah. Um, okay, so voice noting, all right. Favourite day of the week? Friday. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or talk to animals? <laughs> Every language in the world. Yeah, good shout. Yeah. Say a word in Spanish. Hola. Yeah, it is, yeah. What does a person need to be happy? Just happy in themselves, really. Um, you know, um, life, life's about health, life's about family, life's about enjoying yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah money is a factor in, in everyone's lives, uh, but money isn't the thing that will make you happy. No. It genuinely isn't. Um, uh, yes, I come from a background where it is a financial background where it's, it's purely about money um, and it's a very materialistic uh, world um, and sector that I've kind of been in for the last 22 years. Uh, but I, I learned many, many years ago um, as I matured slightly that, you know, it's not about the money. It's about your family. It's about your health. Yeah. Uh, it's about your, your, your safety and security and it's about... Uh, you know, trying to keep the people you love happy, healthy, and, um, you know, together as a family. Nice. And what's been your most embarrassing moment? Must be one. Maybe on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty on YouTube. Plenty on YouTube. Uh, I once appeared on the back of 1.5 million packets of Walker's Crisps. No way! Yeah. <laughs> How did this come about? I was walking around as a, as a student, walking around Belfast city centre over in Northern Ireland, and this girl randomly stopped me and said, um, uh, would you like a free bag of Walker's Crisps? I said, yes, of course, what flavour? Uh, and uh, they were doing this new promotion, and she said, look, can we just get a quote from you about the, the flavour? So I opened the bag and had a crisp, and she goes, why do you love the crisps? And I said, uh, because of the wonderful taste they are, which made no sense <laughs> in English. 
And then they took a photograph of me and they went away. And about three months later, I got this letter from Walker's Crisp's head office saying, you've been selected to appear on the back of 1.5 million packets of wow. Walker's salt and, salt and Lineker crisps. <laughs> and they sent me a foil. I don't still have it, but they sent me a foil of my face. And it was the quote was, because of the wonderful taste they are. It genuinely made no sense. And that was pretty embarrassing because a lot of people over home in Northern Ireland were calling me up going, I've just had a bag of crisps and you're on the back of it. <laughs> I love that. So that was pretty embarrassing. But, so, yeah. I like that. That's probably the best one I've had so far. So if someone wants to get in contact, obviously no time wasters because obviously you're extremely busy, but if someone's genuinely passionate and wants to buy a car, needs to arrange some decent finance between sort of 30,000 and 5 million quid, What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Uh, one of probably three ways. I, through my website, yep. uh, which is just all the W's, dg18som.com. Um, through direct calling me. Calling me is actually one of the best ways. Yep. Uh, just give me a ring. Um, the if, number. I, if I don't pick up, I'll try and ring straight back. Is the number on the website? The number is through on the website, yes. Um, and then I, messaging through Instagram does work to a degree, yeah. but we generally have to switch over to uh, WhatsApp and, and chat that way as well, um, because Instagram, the messaging system is not as brilliant as it, as it might be. Uh, and as I say, I don't get notified when those messages turn up, so I generally will miss them. Um, so I'm trying to get that uh, uh, tightened up a little bit. It's the best way to send you a text, drop you an email, yes, go on the website. Just give me a call. Amazing. Um, preferably not at nine or 10 o'clock on a Friday night. <laughs> Um, I, I do get those quite regularly and I get them a lot at about two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon when I'm either having a roast lunch or I'm watching the Formula One uh, <laughs> during the season. So don't call me at two o'clock on a Sunday. Um, you don't but, have to answer the phone though. Oh, you do. You're one of those. Well, if the phone's ringing. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm almost like, I almost answered to understand what is it? Well, you know, and, and they're like, well, look, let's speak tomorrow. Uh. Uh, but. You mentioned an interesting term there about time wasters. I, I genuine, generally don't class anyone as a time waster. No, of course. Reason for that is, um, I've, and it's, it's been proven over the last, say, four years or so where I've, I've worked in this space, um, in car finance specifically, that is, that when someone calls you up, it's, people can be quick to make assumptions about that individual. And I've learned not to make those assumptions because they can generally be wrong. Yeah. And, you know, a person might say, look, I'm, I'm planning to buy a car. Um, I'm around six months away. Now, clearly I'm working on deals uh, on a week-to-week -week basis that are there being being executed and, and closed and, and handed over to clients. Um, so it is a little bit harder to think six months or nine months in advance. Uh, however, I have learned that by speaking to those clients, understanding it, giving them the relative time or advice that they may require, and even giving them a quote, because they say, look, you know, I want to understand, is this within the art of the possible? We'll look at the numbers. Um, they'll then go away and think, yeah, actually, I, I want to have that monthly. Uh, I can afford that deposit and I can afford that purchase price. So I will happily do that for clients. Um, and invariably, they will come back in six to nine months and say, look, you quoted me back then. Now I'm ready to buy the car. And we do a deal. Um, so I... I, I don't class anyone. We do. I do talk about no no tire kickers and this type of thing on my social. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sometimes, but um, it's more tongue in cheek. Yeah, I, okay. I, I genuinely don't class anyone as a tire kicker, and we, I don't class them as uh, time wasters um, at all. You know, 
Uh, sometimes it, I can't do every single thing no, in the market, course. and uh, you know, as much as I'd like to, but um, you know, but no, I don't class anyone as time wasters or tire kickers. Um, and as I say, people that come in and you think, I don't think they're going to buy. They're always the guys that buy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So never judge. No, exactly. Yeah, I love it. I've learned that. I've learned that. So guys, get in contact if you're looking to buy a car, want some finance, want some expert advice. Speak to Darren. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Nathan. Guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Give it a thumbs up. Make a comment. If you're listening to the podcast, thank you so much for listening and I hope you share it. Take care. Have a lovely day.